Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. It is the final podcast before the mayhem begins. We are almost into May, so away we go on the road to the Women's College World Series. Get your lineup card on your social media at Seven Innings Podcast on your uh, Twitter or your Gram, and you can follow along. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, the Irish Rake this week. Also, uh, some players and teams to watch that you may not know a whole lot about. Uh, No shortage of shortstops around the country. The Player of the Year watch list is out. We're going to talk some shoddies. Uh, We've also got the mailbag, of course. We'll shag some stats. And uh, we're going to hear from Arkansas head coach Courtney Dyfel as well as Fresno State superstar pitcher Haley Dolcini. That's all coming up on the program. BMO, Scarborough, Holro, Shro, Bro, and the two that don't rhyme, Smitty and JDH. Welcome to the show. Let's jump right in. Uh, You know, an Irish wake is usually a celebration of life, but for Notre Dame, it was more like an Irish rake. They went down to Virginia Tech. Got some great pitching, teed off a little bit on Keely Rochard, which was a bit of a surprise, I think, for a lot of folks. Um, But that was a big story. Notre Dame into Blacksburg to win four and really show the depth of the ACC. We had uh, one of those games, uh, a couple of those games, Smitty, and they looked pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a really well-balanced Notre Dame team. Uh, Alexis Holloway in the circle was lights out. Obviously, going into the series, there was a lot of talk about Keely Rouchard and her rise ball and her strikeouts. Um, And and Notre Dame just went in there unfazed. They knew they were going to have their swing and misses, but they went up there um, and and they hit the ball. They they just were outstanding. They scored runs when they needed to, um, long ball, timely hitting. Uh, but I was impressed with Notre Dame and talk about getting hot at the right time. That's what Notre Dame is doing. If you're Virginia tech, I'm a little bit worried because they're starting to trend down. Yeah. I think hot is the right thing to say, Michelle. They've won their last nine games. Now Notre Dame has, and I think what's impressive too is how rocky of a start that they got at the beginning of the season. They lost to Alabama. They lost to Duke a couple of times. They lost to Liberty. They were swept by Florida state. So they've had their bumps and bruises, but to come out and play a tough Virginia tech team and win three games by one run, that shows you that you understand. Now you're starting to understand what it takes to just to win ball games, especially close ball games, and then getting an extra innings win too, I think is huge against a really good Virginia tech team. Yeah. And Notre Dame looked completely different against Florida state than what they did against Virginia tech. So I don't know if um, a fire was lit from coach Gump with her team or what, but when they got swept by Florida state, I mean, they weren't really in any of those games and to watch them play against Virginia tech, I really thought that they looked like a complete different team. And so since they got swept by Florida state, Kayla, you mentioned that they've won those nine straight. So clearly something has changed and watching Alexis Holloway pitch, she She is fiery. Like she is a leader for that team, an emotional leader for that team. Her changeup is incredible. She can throw it on any count against the same hitter multiple times and still find a way to get them out. So I was really impressed and and not only by her changeup, but impressed by the fact that she hit a home run to tie up the game that sent them to extras to be able to get a win, Michelle. Well, and Amanda, to your point, so uh, when we spoke with Coach Gump, she was not at the Florida State Series because of COVID protocol. Her One of her children um, was exposed, so therefore she could not go. And she said she was most disappointed about that series watching from afar was that she felt like they didn't compete. And the one thing she said, from now on, we will 
compete every single pitch. And I think that's exactly what you saw against Virginia Tech. Well, and Holloway is so successful and she only really throws three pitches that rise ball, the drop, and then the change. And so I don't think pitchers across the nation really capitalize on just being really good at what they're really good at. And so honestly, for me, I love Holloway being able to just take those three pitches, own them, mix speeds, keep batters off balance. But guys, Notre Dame has never been to a super regional. And so will they be able to take what they've learned as this season's gone on, be gritty, fiery, and do exactly what they did this past weekend through the postseason? Jen, did I steal your thunder? You absolutely did. I was, I've been thinking about it since Kayla made the point that they're figuring out how to win. They're figuring out how to win those close balls. And I think that's what it takes to earn your run at a super regional, which Notre Dame has never done in the history of their program, which every time I hear that stat, it blows me away as a softball fan to hear that, that the Notre Dame has never been to a super regional. So are they getting hot at the right time? And will this be the year that they potentially match up against maybe some big 10 competition that hasn't really played a lot of other teams? And will it be the year that they finally make it to a super regional? So the latest update now uh, from the ACC heading into the weekend, Clemson has taken over the top spot uh, in the conference, but Florida State still controls their own destiny if both sides were to win out all the rest of their games. Then you've got Duke, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. I think the question for me with the selection committee is how many of these teams will have a chance to host? How huge would that be? Um, you know, based on some geography and based on finishing strong, could a Notre Dame sneak in there and, and be a host or Clemson or Duke certainly looks at this point like Florida State will be a team in line to host in Tallahassee. More on that to come because we should find out heading into the weekend, the 20 finalists for the 16 spots to host regionals and super regionals. The other uh, big uh, weekend series was uh, UCLA and Washington. And um, Gabby Plain suffered her first loss of the season, bounced back, did get a win over the Bruins. Uh, but Tro, it was three of four for UCLA to take command in the Pac-12 race. I think the most telling game of that series was Friday night. That was a true Rachel Garcia healthy versus a healthy Gabby Plain. And I think we, we saw what the world expected, UCLA's offense to come out firing. Gabby Plain, to me, did not have her best stuff. When Gabby Plain is on, people are missing the ball by inches. Her spin just rotates the zone, and it becomes unhittable. UCLA struggled a bit. Uh, but they didn't look surprised or unfazed to me. So I think that's a good sign for UCLA heading into the postseason. You know, guys, UCLA's only played 31 games. They haven't played that many games because of COVID protocols. So it was a huge test for them. Now, what really impressed me about Washington was coming back Saturday against Megan Faramo. They pounced on her fast. And I don't think anyone expected that. And Kelly, I had a short hook with Megan. She pulled her quick. I, my group text was, was going off like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I can't believe it because I wanted to see Megan stay in that game a little longer because they're going to need her in the postseason. And you have to learn how to win with your number two. So Michelle, I don't know what you thought about that, but I would have loved to, to have her stay in the game a little longer. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it is that time of the year where you're like, you have to allow your pitchers to work out of situations at time because in the postseason, that's what's going to happen. Granted, when you do have a Garcia on the bench, it is very easy to, to, you know, bring that other ace in. But what I was impressed with, Jen, was that Ferremo then came back in the fourth game of the series. Okay. So Gabby Plain was slated to start. So it was supposed to be Ferremo, Plain. And then all of a sudden, Plain doesn't show up in the circle. Ferremo does. Ferremo was stronger second time out against Washington than she was in her first outing. And that's what I was impressed about. She gave up six hits, only a couple of runs. Um, six strikeouts, but far stronger second outing, which is harder to do so. And the emotion, how about for Amo? She was pumped. She was fist pumping after she had key strikeouts, just a really fun game to watch. What do you think, Kayla? Yeah. I, I you took the words out of my mouth, Michelle. We're, we're thinking the same today. It's just happening all the time. Gosh. But I think too, for UCLA, what I see with them is that they just have such a complete roster where they don't rely on one person to get the job done. I think we're seeing that as the season's developing is there certain teams, for example, I'm going to throw Arkansas out there. You don't pitch to Braxton Burnside. They're a completely different squad, but that's not really the case with UCLA. I look at their offense and they have six players with 20 or more RBIs. There's no starter in their lineup that's hitting below 300. So they all pull their weight. And speaking of pull their weight, I think that non-conference game was interesting too. The, the fourth game of the series, the non-conference one, Holly Azevedo went seven innings, only gave up one run and got the win. That's a big deal to have somebody that you weren't really expecting to do their job, step up and shut down a really good hitting Washington team. That's what I saw. What'd you see, Amanda? Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about their depth too. Exactly what you were talking about. I mean, I just quickly looked at the, the box scores of all four and to my quick count, I think six or seven different players for UCLA had RBI all throughout their lineup. So to your point, they weren't just relying on one clutch player to come through. They weren't just relying on one clutch pitcher to come through getting quality innings against a really good team. I want to talk a little bit about Washington Jen. I totally agree with you that to me, Gabby Plain just looked a little bit off. I don't think that she was her sharpest self. However, watching Sarah Willis pitch and hit, she's going to be a star. I think she is a player to look out for in years to come. I loved her energy that she brought in the circle. She even did it at the plate too. a couple of RBIs that she had. So in terms of just like a spark for them, maybe we could see more Sarah Willis for Washington behind Gabby playing. I don't know. Just a, a couple little like insider tidbits. So Sarah Willis to me reminds me of Ali Carta in her freshman year at UCLA. Ali Carta struggled a bit and then came out to be a star. When I think of those players that we, we've been talking about, Megan Framo, Sarah Willis, those are both Corona Angels. So those are kids who competed with and against each other their careers. And it's funny because Sarah Willis had that big home run against Framo and an RBI. She looked very confident. So that kind of tells me how she's going to be as her career moves on. Um, one little thing about that fourth game, Kayla, you're talking about Holly. Aaliyah Jordan was texting me Sunday morning and I asked her, hey, who's, who's going to pitch today? And her response was, I don't know, but low key. Holly did real well. So there are girls on UCLA's roster who were thinking, hey, maybe Holly's going to get the ball. It's just something interesting to keep an eye on for postseason moving forward, the depth that UCLA does have in their circle. You're right, Jen. They have a ton of depth. And one of the things that Beth talked about earlier in the year about Oklahoma was where they untested or well-rested. I'm going to say UCLA is coming out tested 
and rested with only 31 games on the year. And so that's going to bode well for them. They're getting a lot of experience in the circle against some really tough teams. They've got five hitters hitting, hitting over 350. You know, Garcia leading the way at 407. So for me, that's a huge benefit to be able to stay rested, but really have those big matchups. Proud to say that that phrase became bulletin board material unintentionally for Patty Gasso to use. Uh, <laughs> and uh, speaking of the Sooners, uh, there's a couple of other uh, uh, developments that we wanted to talk about. Of course, they lost for the first time last Tuesday and have been on a rampage ever since. Uh, six and zero oh, with four run rule wins, and they have outscored their opponents, Georgia, Texas Tech, and Baylor, seventy to four, including a twenty uh, to nothing win over Texas Tech that included an eighteen run inning. Um, they're looking strong. We've talked about the pitching staffs. Looks like UCLA's is deep. Washington's is still under development, and Patty Gasso. Uh, told us, Smitty, that she really likes the look of her pitching staff right now, finding their groove as they get uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, and Beth, you mentioned the shutout. So not only was it a game shutout, it was a series shutout against Texas Tech. I mean, didn't give up a run. So when you think about that, you're talking about a couple of different arms in the circle. And how about the defense? Their defense behind them is outstanding. And, and what impresses me defensively about Oklahoma is that they don't always get a lot of chances, but they're still there making the plays. We've seen them a couple of times take balls off the wall, throw out runners trying to stretch a what they think is a double and when it's really probably a long single. Um, so just impressive all the way around. But that pitching staff is doing a great job. But remember, you know, they have uh, Jen Rocha, calling pitches for him. She's one of the best in the business. They're, they're getting better, but I wanted to share this stat with you from Graham Hayes. So Graham Hayes used to work for us at ESPN and he's so terrific. I thought this was the best stat I've seen. So Jocelyn Allo, their great um, big time hitter and Tiara Jennings, their outstanding freshman would rank ahead of 250 division one teams in home runs this season. And if you take them out of the OU lineup, Oklahoma would still be 12th in the country without them. So these two power hitters, Jocelyn Allo and Thierry Jennings from Oklahoma, just incredible. They would be ahead of 250 division one teams. So that lineup is fierce and formidable. And if they get their pitching on track, like you're talking about, Michelle, buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Follow Graham, by the way, he's at D one softball right now, our friends over there, and he does a fantastic uh, job writing for them. Uh, they are on the cusp, by the way, Oklahoma of setting the new school record for home runs. I think they're at 114 right now. Uh, the all-time NCAA record is 158. Uh, but uh, time is getting short now. They, they, uh, as of today, they've had to change their schedule around quite a bit. They have Wichita State this week and then a huge Bedlam series in May to finish out the regular season in Stillwater. Uh, the, the other big news this week was a, a big series in the uh, Big Ten, and Michigan got a bump, quite literally, uh, from Taylor Bump, hit a couple of home runs as they took three of four from Northwestern. And, uh, and when we talk about pitching staffs, I mean – you know, Megan Bobian had been the ace for three years. And, and now, as uh, Coach Hutch likes to say, they've got a deuce because Alex Storacco has been fabulous in the circle for Michigan. And they are uh, back on top, the team to beat. They still have a four-game series to go with Minnesota. And the Wolverines are up two right now in the standings. 
So that's where we are through the uh, top of our lineup card. We're getting into the uh, heart of the order. Uh, Beth Mowens, Amanda Scarborough, uh, Caleb Bro, Michelle Smith, Jenny Dalton Hill, Jen Schroeder, Holly Rowe. Um, I, I have a hard time sometimes remembering everyone's real names because we're in a nickname world here on the Seven Innings podcast. We're uh, still to come. Haley Dolcini, the ace from Fresno State. Courtney Dyfel, we're high on the hogs. And uh, no shortage of shortstops coming up on the program. Uh, but uh, now we're going to talk about Don't You Forget About Me. You probably heard the song, Don't You Forget About Me. Uh, some underdogs, some unknowns, some sleeper teams and players to watch out for in the postseason. And uh, you just found out why my singing career lasted all of uh, one day. Um, I'll jump right in. And I'm, I'm going to say, uh, you know, don't you forget about me and sleep on those Clemson Tigers. Remarkable what John Rittman and this team has been doing. Year one of the program, folks, they could win the ACC. Right now they're in first place. They have a four-game set up at Syracuse still remaining. Uh, they need Florida State to lose one of their last eight games. But the possibility is there for an ACC championship and uh, – with the job they've done, they are also probably in line to host regionals and supers, of course, led by uh, Valerie Cagle, the player of the week this week. They are on a 17-game winning streak, the best for any women's sport in school history. And I know, um, uh, Amanda Scarborough, you you put the question forward to all of our uh, listeners and viewers. Do you walk Cagle with the bases loaded, which happened in a game this weekend? Right. Against NC State, they, Clemson, were down three to one in the bottom of the seventh, two outs, Cagle comes up and NC State intentionally walks Valerie Cagle to then make the score three to two because she would get an RBI. They ended up winning that game. You, you talked about the win streak that they're still on, but that was just unbelievable. So I asked our fans on Twitter, um, would you have walked Valerie Cagle intentionally with the bases loaded? 56% of our fans said, no way. 44% said yes. Wow. And that same get in that same game, Beth, they walked her to lead off in inning. I think it was like in the third or fourth inning, a lead off intentional walk when the game was still scoreless. So they just went ahead and put her on. So that was the same game that both of those things happened. Um, unbelievable moment. I don't know if anybody else has a comment, Beth, or back to you. I don't know. I have a comment because I, I always go back to remember when Clint Myers would put his good hitters up at the top of the lineup. Like you want to walk her, I'll put her up at the top of the lineup and you're going to have to put her on then um, is force people to make decisions. But I don't think you should walk them. Like make people make a play. You go from a, maybe she beats us to certainly she beats us by putting her on. So make people earn it. Yeah, Holly, I agree 100%. Well, first off is that even if you're a 500 hitter, there's still a 50% chance you're going to, get her out. So throw the ball at her knees. I just don't understand the intentional walk to lead off an inning. Um, because if I'm the pitcher or I'm the battery, I'm probably a little upset at my coaching staff saying, uh, you're not good enough to get her out. So we're just going to go ahead and walk her. I'd be like, eh, I don't agree with this. So I would obviously, you know, be a little stubborn and try to prove my coach wrong, but that's just my opinion. What do you think, Jen? Oh, I have nightmares about this guys, because my senior year, uh, Katie Cochran, one of the best hitters in ASU history, had one hit against UCLA in the three games. And the night before our World Series game, Kelly and Lisa called me into their room. I called every pitch that year and said, 
Katie Cochran doesn't get a hit tomorrow. I said, got it, coach. Same plan. No, Jen, I don't think you understand. Katie Cochran doesn't get a hit tomorrow. I'll save you because I get really emotional about this story. I looked Kelly in her eyes and I said, Clint Myers is going to back Katie at leadoff tomorrow because he knows. And I said some choice words and he did. And we walked her all four at bats and she scored three times and we lost by one run. So it's still like, I'm getting very heated right now, even thinking about this, Holly. So yes, Jen's triggered. <laughs> Jen's triggered. I didn't know I would trigger you by that, oh. but yeah, it, it was Katie Cochran. And he was like, all right, nobody's pitching to her this whole world series. So bleep you. And here she is in the leadoff spot. I just always thought that was so brilliant. Oh. I'm sorry it triggered you though. No, I no, no worries. This, this, hey, we're here to trigger each other and 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 give each other a lot of support. Uh, who who else should, shouldn't we forget about Caleb Bro? Let's go around the horn here and talk about some some underdogs and unknowns and sleepers. What you got? Yeah, I think I got to shout out the Ole Miss Rebels because coming into the season, they were picked to finish last in the SEC. It's Jamie Traxel's first year as a head coach. You don't really know what you're going to get. And they come out and they've won five of their conference series. They're fifth in the standings in the SEC right now. So they have outperformed the expectations from this year. I think they're really deep in the circle. They're led by Anna Borgen and Savannah Diedrich, but they have a lot of pitchers. They have a six pitcher staff that they'll rotate through. They have some good offensive players like Tate Whitley, Blaze Berenger, some speedy lefties that set the table. So they could be dangerous. And when you have like a lefty like Anna Borgen, she can mess up some teams. So I would be a little bit nervous to have them in a, in a regional down the road because they're a team that can get hot and make something happen. And Jamie Traxel has been there and she knows what it takes to take her team to the world series. Yeah. And I, I love their defense, Kayla. Like they have a reliable, solid defense back behind their good pitching staff too. Um, I'm going to go as the underrated kind of forgotten about players. Um, the battery of Haley Lee and Mackenzie Herzog at Texas A&M. I know Haley Lee made the USA softball collegiate player of the year, top 25 finalist list, but I feel like we don't talk about her in, in the same way that we do with Allo and Burnside and Jennings and her numbers are just as good. She's hitting 413, 21 home runs, 42 RBIs. Her slugging percentage is basically a thousand. And we just don't kind of, we don't usually talk about her in the same conversation as those players. I think because AM is a is a middle of the road SEC team to below middle of the road toward the bottom, but also Mackenzie Herzog, Beth, you talked about Valerie Cagle and we talk a ton about Rachel Garcia and we, we absolutely should, but Mackenzie Herzog is also a great two-way player, pitcher hitter for AM, hitting 371, 11 home runs, 34 RBIs. And she also has 17 stolen bases and a 1.92 ERA. So in terms of two-way players, pitchers who can rake, Mackenzie Herzog is one that we haven't talked about yet. And she deserves a little attention. Amanda, I totally agree. She, I've covered them a couple of times this year. They, she really is an impressive player. I'd also like to give a little love to the Sunbelt Conference. I think Texas State has done a remarkable job this year. They have a 30-9 and nine record. They've beat three SEC teams. They've also beat Louisiana this season as well. Um, their team ERA is a 2.19, but it's really Jessica Mullins who's been the workhorse for them. She's got 124 and two-thirds innings pitched, 131 strikeouts, They've also got Megan King throwing for them in the circle. So they're a good one to punch, but then they've got a lot of bats that swing well as for them to put up runs. So Sarah Vanderford has a 407 batting average, nine home runs. And then Tara Oltman, another shortstop um, for them, 361 batting average and has nine home runs as well on the year and just four errors over there at short. So I think Texas state is one of those teams that we cannot 
um, just push aside. They're trying to let us know that we need to pay attention. Michelle, who have you got? Well, I, a couple of teams um, that I think are, you know, could show up in your backyard and really surprise you. JMU, a team 325 batting average, 51 home runs on the year. They're 38 of 40 in stolen bases. Uh, so I want, and, and three good arms in the circle. So tough to prepare for as well as Wichita state, a 300 batting average, 81 home runs on the year. Again, three good arms, both those clubs. I think uh, they show up in your regionals. You might be like, ouch, worried a little bit. Um, and not to mention, I guess, is this a reverse Homer? Because they beat my OSU cowgirls a couple of times this year, Wichita state did. Ah, Ugh, painful. I need to give some love to two players. Uh, one, Patrick Murphy wanted to shout out Sammy Bunch. He texted me about her because she plays at his alma mater, UNI. She's hitting 458. She's seven for seven in stolen bases, and she has 45 RBIs on the season. If you think that's impressive, though, guys, I need to tell you about Linda Rush from Drexel. She is hitting 494. She has 13 home runs. This year, she has 46 RBIs, but that's not even impressive. She had 80 RBIs her junior season. She had 55 her sophomore season and 50 her freshman season. She's never had a season where she's had less than 50 RBIs in a year. She is the RBI queen. Okay, well, I don't want you guys to make fun of me because you're going to be like, okay, loser, that's not the category. But I do think this player is not getting as much attention as some others. So I'm going with Natalie Lugo. Even though she's at a big program, a big time person, I haven't heard one peep about her nationally. If she's 13 and one, she actually leads the SEC in conference games with a 1.02 ERA. She was three and oh this week. And um, I just think she's somebody that we're not talking a lot about nationally. And I think Florida is a team that we're not talking a lot about nationally. You look at the new poll and they are right behind Oklahoma, UCLA. They could be in this conversation. And I, as weird as it sounds to say, are the Gators flying under the radar and are we giving them enough love and attention? I'm not so sure because I haven't heard a lot of national people talking about them. You make a very good point, Holly, because they still have a chance to be the SEC regular season champs. They are sitting right there in second place in the league. Um, they finish out uh, at Missouri this weekend and then Texas A&M. So this should be a great weekend series with the Gators and the Tigers, of course, Missouri taking two of three from Arkansas um, last weekend. So some very good names we, we've bandied about. By the way, Hora, we would never make fun of you. Did you just hear me sing a minute ago? I mean, if I, that's I mean, not made fun of material, I don't know what is. You live to make fun of me, don't even lie. And I can't believe no one did because I thought you were going to be like, hey, this was supposed to be the unsung hero no, section, blah, no. blah, blah. All right, joining us now on the podcast, we've got a very special guest, Haley Dolcini of the uh, first place team in the Mountain West, the Bulldogs of Fresno State. They're riding a 13-game winning streak, and she is top 20 in the league in wins, or in the country, rather, in wins and ERA. We're joined with Fresno State pitcher Haley Dolcini. Haley, you just earned your sixth Mountain West Conference Pitcher of the Week award. Your ERA is... Sub one, you've taken on more than double of the innings. Uh, tell us how you're feeling this year, what your mindset is like. You're obviously having an incredible season, but just talk us through how this season has been for you as an individual. Yeah, I think with, you know, COVID interrupting the season last year and whatnot, showing us, you know, not to take any pitch for granted. So that's kind of been my personal mindset was just, 
grinded it out in the off season, knowing a lot of people didn't have access to gyms because they were closed and whatnot. So just taking advantage of that, um, got surgery, got healthy. Um, then just once we started playing, just truly not taking for granted each pitch, just enjoying being out there with, you know, some of my best friends that I get to play with. And so I think that's really been the mentality. And talking about some of your best friends, I know you're very close with your catcher, Kelsey, who you just lost to an injury a few weekends ago. Uh, what's that been like having to now throw to a different catcher? Um, so definitely very emotional when it all happened. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are aware of the situation of Kelsey losing her father and whatnot and, you know, being out there suited up with us the following weekend. So, I mean, she was my other half out there. I mean, she knew my mechanics better than me sometimes, but, you know, she's jumped into the role of almost assistant pitching coach and, you know, she's telling me what she's seeing and uh, how we think we can beat different batters. And then just, you know, I had a talk with both the other catchers and just said like, don't worry about filling in shoes or anything. I trust you guys just as much as I trusted Kelsey. Um, you know, don't worry about trying to bring as much energy as she brought, bring the amount you can bring. And, you know, I think just from there, just we trust each other and just enjoying it. Haley, if we were going to do a scattering report on you of what you throw, like, like your speed, your best stuff, we don't get to see you that often. You know, I would love to hear about like what you throw, like what your strengths are as a pitcher. Um, so my strengths, definitely my screwball. Um, and then just locating that on whether we're working the river or ball and a half. Um, that's definitely my strength is being able to locate that a ball in another ball. And then within the last year and a half worked on what we call the scries. So it's, it'll come up and in on the hands of the batter. And then I also have a rise ball inside. So it's just definitely elevating that pitch, moving it, uh, ball in ball out. And then in the off season really, really worked on a curve and change, not necessarily as a best pitch, but just to set up the next, because I mean, at this point in the season for conference, everybody knows what I'm going to throw. So at this point, it's trusting that my best stuff will be whoever. Um, and then working on just setting up each pitch. Haley, question just following up with that. Do you ever, have you seen Hightower pitch? Because what you, uh, Elizabeth Hightower from Florida, is she similar to what you throw? Because what you just described, I feel like is similar to what we see her pitch. Very similar. My dad's actually, he's told me, he's like, I'm watching Hightower and you guys are definitely very similar. I wanted to go on the same uh, kind of path is we don't get to see your team. You guys are 14 and one in conference play. You're leading your division. And uh, like, we don't get to see you on TV. So tell us about your team. What makes you guys successful and why you guys are 14 and one in conference right now. Um, our team is, our team's very special. And I think that's because, you know, we've gone through some real life stuff that, you know, you can't duplicate, you can't force to do that in a team bonding kind of thing. And so We've all seen each other on our worst days and our best days. Um, we've been vulnerable with each other. So I think there's that extra element of trust that we all know one another can get the job done in any situation. And, you know, we just truly love the game. And we had five out of six seniors return this year. Um, and so knowing that, you know, their season was initially cut short and that they chose to put off life for one more year to come back and try and win a conference championship, I think, we play for them as well. And then now losing Kelsey, um, just everything she's been through, we play with that extra chip on our shoulder for her as well. On Haley, as an upperclassman, you've really figured out how to throw. When we talk to these coaches across the country, it takes pitchers time to become a pitcher rather than just a thrower. 
When do you think that happened for you in your career? I think I would say last year, um, I really started to kind of break out. And I think that's impartial. I think the fall of last year, I really bought into the mental game, um, you know, different podcasts on sports mastery and the mindset. And I believe the mental game has truly separated me from um, other pitchers just because, you know, it's a bounce back mentality, believing in yourself hundred percent. And at first I think I always was kind of wishy-washy with the mental game. Like, Oh, it sounds kind of like wacky almost. Um, but once I truly bought in and studied it, I think it just completely changed my game. And Haley, when I dig into your, um, your stats, I'm always looking at free passes. You have over 200 strikeouts. You have just 17 walks on the season. What is your approach when you're attacking the strike zone and, and obviously limiting those free passes? Uh, my approach is definitely just to win every single pitch. Um, regardless of what happened the last pitch, just only worrying about one at a time. And, you know, no defense likes to play behind someone that's going to give a lot of free passes. So I, I want to limit the amount of people that touch first base. And I think definitely going to win a lot of ball games when you limit that number and your defense stays engaged and they love to play behind you. Haley, you, you mentioned your dad watching Hightower, um, uh, reading your bio. Your dad, Bobby, was a, a baseball player in college himself. How, how instrumental has he been? Or, you know, was there anybody growing up that you really looked up to or tried to uh, pattern your, your pitching style after? Oh, yeah. Well, my dad, so I'm from a very, very rural area up in Humboldt County, uh, 1,200 people where I live. So softball is not a huge environment. And so he took it upon my, upon himself when I was younger to start teaching me through Amanda's YouTube channel. Um, he, he kind of tried to teach himself how to pitch softball wise. And then being a baseball pitcher, he understood the concept of spin and whatnot. And just when I started pitching and explained, I wanted to, he said, that's fine, but you're not allowed to pitch in a game until you show me you can practice for a year straight and that you're bought in. And so I think that that's where I, developed a work ethic and understood that the success is going to come from what you do behind the scenes. And I think that's, that's set me up for success. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. What is it going to take to uh, beat UNLV this weekend, a big showdown for first place in the mountain West. And, uh, and why are the Bulldogs a, a good sleeper pick to make a deep run into the NCAA tournament, Haley? Um, I think for this weekend, definitely that winning every pitch mentality. And then uh, for myself, just, I mean, I've got my scouting report sitting right next to me that I've been working on this morning, um, but just sticking to our game plan and, you know, our hitters all week have had a focused and super intentful uh, hitting cage times. And like we've scouted both their pitchers. We know what they're going to throw. Um, so just putting one more run across than they do in every single game and coming back here with, three more wins hoping to clinch conference the senior weekend at home. Um, but to be a sleeper team and uh, make a deep run in regionals, I definitely say um, for me, myself, just working more off speed, more curveball, because I mean, any, I mean, I faced UCLA had by far the worst performance of the year against them. So I think for me, if I'm going up against them again, I know what I need to personally make changes with. Um, and then I think just our team having better scouting reports against these pitchers and just those intentful practices. So we're prepared. Well, thanks Haley. I, I personally loved listening to you. 
I feel like I need to be friends with your dad. I think I'd really get <laughs> along with him. Uh, but it, it was so nice to, to have you on and just get a different perspective for a conference and a team that we don't really get to see. And I'm really looking forward to watching you guys in the regionals coming on with us today. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been awesome. Jen, Jen Schroeder just said something that made me really think. So the NCAA is just passing this new legislation that you can transfer anytime without having to sit out. And softball hasn't always had to sit out, but some people have had to redshirt that year after a transfer. So do you guys think this is an issue moving into softball next season of all these players, like the players at Drexel and the players at JMU and some of these schools that aren't the power five are a lot of those teams going to lose those kids that are like, wait a minute, maybe I'm, maybe I should have been playing at a little bit higher level. Well, Holly, that's actually a conversation I had with my crew. We were at the Oklahoma regional two years ago, and there was a pitcher there for UMBC. Her name's Courtney Coppersmith, and she had absolutely run through the league, tons of strikeouts, tons of potential, and just a freshman. And my crew kept saying, she's going to transfer. She's going to go to a bigger school and we bet ice cream on it. And she is still at UMBC. And I love that she stayed true to her original decision loves her coach and just loves her team and is completely engaged where she's at. But you bring up a great point, Holly, are these players who are doing well going to push themselves and look for an opportunity to see if the grass is greener on in another field? Beth, what do you think? I, I think that has been the trend. Certainly in recent years, we've seen players make that move up. I think the challenge though, at least for the next year or two is, as we've talked about roster management, and so many young players, you know, kind of backed up, if you will, prep All-Americans that are already at a Florida, Alabama, Oklahoma, UCLA. So if I'm a superstar at uh, Drexel or Fresno State, and maybe a couple of years ago, I was going to go to Arizona. Well, you know what? There might not be a spot open for me yet at Arizona. So I, I think, and what, what would be great for the game is, I love the fact that they're going to challenge themselves at a higher level, uh, but maybe that starts to spread out the talent even more. And there's parity. I, I can't go, I can't transfer to the top team in the SEC or the Big Ten. Maybe I can, though, transfer into a middle of the pack team, start right away, and all of a sudden that team gets a little bit better. But I, I certainly think with the transfer portal, uh, the way it is, and the power now has shifted to the players, we're, we, we should probably see a lot more movement in that regard. I think I saw, and I don't know if um, maybe one of you guys saw this tweet because there's just so much information coming at us on an everyday basis, but I think I saw a tweet that said there were almost 300 players in the transfer portal as it stands right now. I don't know if any of you guys saw that too, but that number so high and that's just the, the number right now, not even at the end of season. Yeah. The, uh, the Syracuse basketball team, I think uh, that might have a, almost an entire roster turnover from last year to this year with people that have left the program and other people that are coming into the program. Um, shout out, by the way, to Holly Rowe, a uh, masterful job at another bubble. Uh, the uh, volleyball was spectacular. Congratulations to the University of Kentucky first championship for an SEC school in that sport. And I think uh, even more important from the big picture, Holly, we're seeing the, the ratings are up for all of the women's sports that we're getting on TV. 
Yeah, it was really exciting. You guys were just talking batting averages. Like she's hitting 425. They're hitting 325 as a team. And I literally went to volleyball numbers like, oh, well, Texas just, uh, Kentucky just led the nation hitting 361 in volleyball. So it's funny how my brain is like on so many sports, but congratulations to Kentucky. How about this, you guys? Of all the sports, I think it's 21 sports that the SEC offers and, and does in conference. They had never, it was the only sport they had not won a national championship in. So now the SEC resume is complete. But more than that, I think it opens up that area of the country. You know, it had been a very West Coast, Big Ten dominated sport. And it's kind of like when we saw Florida starting to really have success in softball and Tennessee with Monica Abbott and, and teams in kind of the heartland of the country in the, in the lower Southeast quadrant, um, it really opened up the sport. And I hope that we see that in volleyball, that this national championship expands that it is the number one participation sport for young people right now. So it's kind of cool. Well, and Holly, a thing that's really crazy is that was the 2020 national championship. So we're going to see another volleyball championship within the next five or six months. Yeah. Oh, nuts. Holly, I just have to say, I have been loving your outfits at these championships, basketball, volleyball. You have just been looking so good. I just have to tell you. Thank you. It's amazing what you can wear when you're indoors and not sweaty. So I, I'm not going to lie. We've got softball games coming up, uh, SEC tournament next week, and we've got the World Series and all the regionals. And I've been panicking about, oh, wait, what's it like to work where you're dirty and sweaty again? So there, I have a complete bin of clothes that are just my softball clothes because all the shoes have red soles now from wearing them outdoors. So. Oh, boy. Well, I haven't checked the weather reports, where, uh, but uh, we are headed back to uh, T-Town, Never Down, Tuscaloosa for the SEC softball tournament uh, in the next couple of weeks. We are uh, almost into the mayhem, folks, and it's May 11th to the 15th where we are going to have uh, a huge Saturday for you with championships from the SEC, the ACC, the American, and the Big 12. And then Sunday night, May 16th, we will have the selection show for you. We'll find out the field of 64. And we will also, of course, find out who will be hosting regionals and potentially the super regionals. The NCAA is going to select uh, 20 teams from all the schools that uh, put in bids to host course they are uh, very concerned about safety protocols so they wanted to make sure they were on top of it and gave teams an opportunity to get ahead make sure there's enough hotel rooms and locker rooms and practice facilities and all that so hopefully by uh, by the weekend we will know the finalists the 20 finalists and then we'll uh, of course find out on selection sunday who will be hosting uh Beth, one of the friday big- the ncaa said friday will be an yes. announcement i confirmed yes. that with them today yep one of the big stories, of course, uh, around the college softball world is just how high everybody is on the hogs, ladies and gentlemen. And the Razorbacks right now in, in, in the thick of the SEC race, trying to wrestle that SEC regular season title away from those, those darn Gators and uh, Crimson Tide who have been hogging it, pun intended, for the last 12 years. Uh, but Courtney Dyfel is with us to talk about this Arkansas team that is on the cusp of something historic. And we pass it over right now to our Hall of Fame stadium reporter, Holly Rowe. Well, Coach Stifel, number one, we're so excited for you because, you know, we've all been around and seen when you took over this program and 
you know, not to be disrespectful, but they were one of the worst, if not the worst in the SDC when you took over. And just a few short years later, I think this is your sixth season now, here you are on the precipice of a championship. So I wanted to ask you, what was the first thing when you took over there that you wanted to instill from a culture standpoint and a competition standpoint that you are seeing today in this season pay off for you? Well, I think, well, thanks for having me on first. <laughs> I actually, I'm going to be honest. I thought I was getting on with just Holly. And then when I signed on and saw all of your smiling faces, um, thanks for having me on. Um, I, and honestly, Holly, I was so excited to talk to you and you guys, this is bonus. So, um, you know, when we first got here, it was, our whole focus was just how we were going to play the game, what it was going to look like. And I think when you when you get here and you get, um, we weren't very good, <laughs> as Holly just kindly pointed out. I didn't um, mean, but it's true. We were bad. It's okay. Um, but you can easily get caught up in trying to be someone else. You can look at what Alabama's done. You can look at what the Floridas have done. And, and it was just the reminder of we're running our own race. We're not trying to be them. Um, and so when we first got here, it was the focus on how it was going to look. What is what was Arkansas softball going to look like? How are we going to play the game? How are we going to approach it? How were we um, going to win our fans over? Um, what's going to make them want to come back? And it wasn't going to be in wins and losses early. Um, and we knew that it wasn't it wasn't our growth wasn't necessarily going to be um, reflected in wins and losses in a conference like the SEC. Um, and so I, I think that little by little, we just saw steps moving forward. They didn't want to lose any, they didn't want to lose. Nobody wants to lose. Um, and so it was, it was just them getting them to see more of themselves, more in themselves. They wanted more and, and they were committed to moving this thing forward. And, and every year there's been a push for more. Um, and, and it's them being hungry. It's, um, kind of changing the culture, got some pitchers in that can win some, win some ball games. And, um, and it was them wanting more um, for this program. You know, so now you fast forward and you're in this very unique position that you're leading the SEC and you have an opportunity to win the SEC. And I wanted to ask, how are you balancing that with, we've got to be focused on one pitch at a time and one game at a time instead of the end goal of winning the SEC. How are you talking to your team right now about finishing down the stretch? Well, this past weekend wasn't our best weekend <laughs> and we were in this funk and, um, and it was the first time we really talked about it. We don't, we don't talk about it much because um, this might sound crazy. We didn't set out to win the SEC. You know, this is a, this is a sport that it's so postseason dominant that we, we set out to just compete in the next game that we're in where we set out to compete in the moment. And little by little, it's accumulating to a really special season um, that when you're in the midst of and you're battling, you don't really feel, you don't, you don't take the time to reflect on what you're doing in the big picture. Um, so little by little, we've kind of put one, we're putting together this really special season that's put us in the position to win the SEC championship, which we feel is just a byproduct of us being us and, and just competing and, um, and, competing and be authentically us in the, in the next game. We focus on the next game, the next game only. Um, you know, we talked about it this past weekend um, after our second game against Missouri. And it was just kind of like, hey guys, I, I don't know what this funk is. And we kind of are like all kind of, you know, trying to figure it out, but it's like, 
No, we have to get back to who we are. We have fun. Well, what does fun look like? Fun looks like us playing freely. Fun looks like if one aspect of our game is off, the other two say, you know what? I got you. Let's go. Um, that's what we've done all year. We've, we've had stretches where we've, we've didn't have three of our starters. Who cares? I got you. Let's go. And that's but what we've been about all year. And so it was more so just the response. And, and again, what is, what does Arkansas softball look like? We've never worried about wins and losses. We've worried about competing in the moment, competing for each other, and that's what's going to get us back on track. And then they responded big time on Monday. Um, so we're going to continue to talk that way. Um, we're going to continue to talk about the next game, which is Saturday versus LSU. We all know what's on the line, but winning or losing the SEC championship isn't going to dictate a, a successful season for us. Um, and, and we see the big picture um, we know that it's within our reach. We can control our own destiny. We know that. Um, and we also know we have a lot of postseason out ahead of us. Courtney, take us through the, the evolution of Braxton Burnside. Of course, she comes out of high school, the, the greatest home run hitter in Arkansas prep history, starts at Missouri, then has to sit a year as she comes home. She's been a good power hitter, uh, but this year just exploding off the bat. What, what, what has been the difference or what has been the evolution of her game at the plate? Gosh, what a special player she is, huh? Um, you know, I, I would say she would attribute it to her year off. Um, I, I think she changed her perspective. It forced her to um, take a different perspective to the game, to observe the highs and lows that um, sometimes you don't have the chance to observe when you're in the thick of it. Um, so in that year, she had to sit out her first year here. She, um, she was a dugout coach. She was a, a student of the game. Um, and she would, she would say that that was one of the most important years of her career. Um, and and, I, and I, I fully believe it. Um, she's incredible. She has a, a work ethic that's about as intense as I've ever um, seen. She doesn't take a rep off any day. Um, and I, and I think to train that intensely, that consistently is something that's very special. Um, and, and she's just been so consistent for us, but you watch her play. She doesn't get cheated. She knows exactly what she is hunting and she goes for it. And I think that's really tough to do in general that consistently for this length of time, but it's even tougher when you're not getting many pitches to hit and taking advantage of the ones that, that show up in the zone. Um, I think she's done a really, really tremendous job of balancing that and, and staying with who she is and, and not stretching outside of that and knowing that she's being incredibly productive when they walk her too. Um, so I'm just really proud of her. She's, um, you know, she's a special one to watch. She's, she's a special one off the field. She's the full package. Um, I'm just really proud of, of who she is as, as a human. Coach, one of the things I've been impressed with was the resilience of this group. So earlier this season, you have this huge top 10 matchup with Alabama. Um, you get beat one game, but you come right back and are competitive. Same thing this weekend against Missouri is what have you seen with your group and their ability to be resilient when they hit some bumps in the road in, in a series and turning things around? Well, that's been our focus all year is the, the resilience, the toughness of this group. Um, when you're going into a season, um, around COVID and you have no idea what to expect and you're coming off a year that was shut down and you're going into each 
weekend and you're living test to test. You're not living like, oh, we play in three days. It's like, okay, we play in one test. We play in two tests um, because you're just not sure who you're going to have. And it was just a matter of, it was how, how we talked from the jump is, you know, the team that's the toughest, the team that handles the curveballs, that's the team that's going to have the success on the field. And we set out first weekend and we have to leave three starters at home who had played themselves into the starting position and we couldn't use autumn storms. So you have three starters at home and autumn storms isn't available and it changes things. And they, you know, they, they stepped up, you know, we played Oklahoma state. It was a brutal weekend. Um, we were in this battle, obviously it was 12, 11. That's how we started our year. Um, but the fight that they had, I was like, this is, this is something special. We knew we had the talent. Um, but to see the heart on display in that first game, we're like, this is going to be a special year. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward and we have 10 games. We don't have Hannah McEwen who lives about as carefully as, as anyone. And, and so we don't have Hannah McEwen for 10 games. We don't have Hannah Gamble, our freshman third baseman for four weeks. She breaks her hand getting hit by a pitch. We don't have Daniel Gibson for four games because of a concussion. And then she's kind of trying to get back into it. We didn't have autumn storms for three weeks. Um, we didn't have Braxton Burnside to start Ole, Ole Miss. And this team doesn't care. This team doesn't care. We kind of adopt, we adopted the, um, a saying from Sam Pittman, our football coach is who we have is who we need. Um, and, and we feel like we have really strong depth. We feel like we have a team that fights their butts off. Um, we feel like we have a team that it doesn't matter the adversity. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup. It doesn't matter who's ready to go. It doesn't matter the weather. We had a trip down to McNeese and it took us 35 hours to get there. It should have been nine or 28. I don't know what it was. It was something completely absurd. And the next day we're playing and we go, we play 21 innings. We play a doubleheader against McNeese. And it's like, these girls are on six hours of sleep. They've been in the bus for a day and a half and they don't care. They just fight and they, they show up for each other. And I think that's something that's incredibly special. So when you look at the Alabama series and you look at the Missouri series, that's just a blip on the radar. We've been through worse than that. Um, you know, we, we were upset about the funk that we were in, but in the big picture, it's the first time we lost two games in a row all year. It's, it's the sky is not falling. We are going to be okay. We just have to get on, get on track and get back to what makes us us. And that is literally just being present in the moment and fighting for each other. Uh, and Courtney, um, so who we have is uh, who we need. I lo we love that. Obviously we loved it enough that I think we uh, named one of our podcasts after that. So oh, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question specific to this weekend at LSU. So you're going into Tiger Park. That is a home run, uh, a, excuse me, a park that is notorious for being hard to hit home runs out of. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a big part of what you guys do. You walk a lot, you hit a lot of long balls. What is, you know, what's your, what are, what are, what are you guys looking to do when you go into Tiger Park this week offensively as well as with your pitchers? Well, I think we're just looking to be the team that showed up on Monday, you know, just competing it at bats, making great adjustments, putting pressure on offense on, on the defenses. Um, it's hard to get balls out. That, I know it, it looks like it. We don't go into games saying we want to hit home runs. So, you know, we just want to be productive. We want to have good at bats. We want to force them to throw in the zone. We don't want to stretch, you know, those, those type of things that I think have made us productive. Um, you know, I, I do think 
you know, the ball does get out there. So I think we're going to see home runs this weekend. They just hit eight, I think in their last weekend. So I think there's going to be some offense on both sides. Um, but it, it's really just staying us. We don't swing for home runs. Um, if we go there and worry about that, then we're worrying about something that we, um, isn't in our approach or our philosophy. So we're just gonna, you know, stay in the moment, look for what we're hunting, have a good approach, be really prepared and go to battle. I love this version of Courtney, the politically correct head coach version, but she's not my favorite version. My favorite version is the catcher, that clip we've all seen who won the World Series in 2002, that intense Courtney. So this is a podcast. I want you to put that Courtney on right now. When it's all said and done at the end of the year, where do you want Arkansas to end up? If you aren't at the World Series, will you be upset i know politically correct courtney is going to say no we've done so many good things but but really tell us where you want arkansas to be at the end of the year i think we fully expect to be at the world series um i think we're going to be disappointed i think we're going to be a little heartbroken if we're not there um i think we all see that this team should be there honestly I, i i think we're a top eight team in the country i think that you put us up against anybody and i think that you just never know what's going to happen. I, I, I feel like we should be in that conversation. I feel like this team has earned it. Um, and, and I, I do think that we expect to be there. When you were in your second year, the thing that you talked about was how you needed to teach your team how to fight and compete. Well, now we're seeing the fruits of those labors. Now they do fight. Now they do compete. But in talking with you the past couple of weekends, you've talked about your sports psychologist, Dr. Bader, who has really kind of dove into what it takes to be able to stay focused during a really difficult season. And Autumn Storms even said that she muted her social media there for a while. So what kind of things are you doing as a team to give you a direct approach that's not clouded with some other things that could really get in the way? Well, it's, um, we just focus on us. I know that's going to be, Jen's going to roll her eyes at me again, and that's fine. (laughs) I'm used to that. It's okay. Um, we just, you know, we just focus on us. And, and the thing is, is like this team feels like we've been overlooked this year. This team feels like they should have been in the conversation a lot sooner than they were. Um, you know, it's, it's, we've had some really tremendous individual accomplishments that haven't been recognized. We've had, you know, we had a great start to SEC play and people are making excuses for why we have success. Um, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't phase this team as much as others because to us, it's just noise and, and we don't care when you look at the rankings, when you look at um, weekly awards, when you look at all those things, we were like, that's someone sitting in a room that's never seen us play. And, and we don't really, we don't care. We don't care what they think. Um, because no matter what, when you have the success, someone's going to say that there's an excuse for it when you're, and when you don't, they're going to stomp on you. (laughs) It doesn't feel like you're never going to make anyone happy. And it's easier said than done to let, not let that, bother you, but this team's done a pretty good job. And, and as much as they can for 18 to 22 year olds of, in a social media influence world, like they, they just, they just fight for each other and they, they hype each other up. They support each other and they let all that other crap just stay outside our bubble as much as they can. So Dr. Bader does a really good job of just getting to the stuff that matters. And, and that's, you know, when we're sitting in that room, the only thing that matters is, is the people sitting in that room. 
And so he does a good job of just kind of refocusing, you know, there was a lot of hype about this top 10 matchup with Alabama and all this stuff. And, and honestly, for me, I was like, well, shoot, honestly, we should have been top 10 four weeks ago. Anyone else that came in with this resume and this, you know, what they'd done in the SEC, they would have been in the top 10 four weeks ago. So, you know, I, I guess it makes for a great story, but you know, it's just like, who cares? Who cares what anyone else thinks? And um, they've done a really good job of just blocking all that out and focusing on us. Coach, before we let you go, I wanted to just ask one quick question with a quick answer and then one last one. Have you guys put in a bid to be one of the host sites? Because those are going to be announced on Friday from the NCAA. Have you, do you have that opportunity to play at home if selected? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. And then my last question for you would be it's mother's day coming up. And I always marvel at you. Um, some people say we shouldn't ask women about being mothers and coaches. And I say, you know what, forget you, because I think it's amazing. You get the job when you've got a, I think you were pregnant or, or they just get, had they, your baby. Um, they hired me when I was six and a half months pregnant. I was on good. my interview walking around with a big old belly. Good for Arkansas. Like honestly, good for them. Yes. And and then, you know, you have another baby soon thereafter. And I just want to know, like, uh, as we celebrate mother's day, I know you're going to be getting ready for the sec tournament. How have you found a balance between what you're doing as a coach professionally and what you're doing at home as a mother? Um, it's always work, always a work in progress. And I have to say that I loved your coverage and the women's, um, the women's version of March Madness. Um, I loved your coverage and I do think that working moms should be normalized. Um, And and so I loved, I I, maybe because I've lived it, I liked the coverage of talking about how she had to pump at halftime. Yeah, that's what moms have to do. I've been in the middle of double headers and having to pump. I've been in the middle of SEC meetings and saying, sorry, I got to step away for a second. So it's always a work in progress, but it should be normalized. I, I think that that's, the, that's the best part of my job is when my boys run into the field and they run to the 25 girls that are helping to raise them. Um, I I love that piece. It also brings you, um, off a bad loss really fast on Sunday night. We got our butt handed to us by Missouri and my little ones projectile vomiting through the night. I don't care that we lost anymore. You know, he's, he's sick and you're a mom and you're standing in it and you're just like, okay, you just got to take care of it and, and get past it, you know, and, and you come off the field. And I think we had a game early and we lost and, and trip. My five-year-old was just like, good game, mom, you lost. It's like, yep, I know. I know. <laughs> hey, why did so-and-so not get this hit? And it, you know, it just like, it changes your perspective so much. Um, it makes you more patient. It makes you start to realize the losses aren't that big a deal. And, and you just get to, you get to teach them and coach them through it. But it, it, um, you know, it's the same thing. You have a big win and you come home and you have a sick kid. It doesn't matter, you know? So anyways, I just think that, you know, you just have to do a good job of being where your feet are. Um, and I, and more than anything, I take it really personal to show this team that you can do it all. Like you can have a family, you can coach at a high level, you can coach at a high level and have a balance that allows you to have a life. Um, and then, and nothing, makes me happier than when those two worlds overlap. Um, and I think that's ultimately what it's all about. My boys get to see me as a strong female coach. My, my team gets to see me as a mom and a strong female coach. And, um, and so hopefully I'm being a great role model for them. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll never forget uh, Kelly Inouye Perez at UCLA wins her first national championship as the head coach. And I see her at the airport the next day with the national championship trophy on the, on the seat and her child's head over her. And she's putting eardrops in because her, her child now has an ear infection. So that's her life the day after she wins the national championship, like (laughs) welcome to motherhood. So it's a, it's (laughs) a real deal. Absolutely. Thank you so much, coach. We sure appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You guys are awesome. National television audience this weekend for uh, their SEC finales and a shot at an SEC regular season championship. The Hogs and LSU down at Tiger Park. Check your local listings for the games. As many clicks as we would get for naming this uh, episode projectile vomiting, I think we'll we'll hold off on that. Although I am keen right now on fight your butts off just because, you know, we can say butts. Um, but... Oh, one T on that, but let's talk about a couple of other big series real quickly. We got coming up this weekend, Oklahoma state, Texas, um, and also Alabama, Georgia. They're always a little feisty, always a little testy when the dogs and the tide get together. Uh, what do we think horns and, and pokes coming up this weekend? I think it's an underrated matchup. I mean, I, it's like, nobody's talking about that. And that's a top 15, top 10 matchup. And I, I don't know why it's like, we all divert our attention to Baylor, Oklahoma, doubleheader on Tuesday night in Oklahoma in general. But I feel like this means a lot for both teams, Texas. The last time that we saw them play against Oklahoma, they didn't look very good, but they have a real big shot to either win a series, get a sweep, win a game against a top 10 team in Oklahoma state who needs the wins. In my opinion, just as bad as Texas does to kind of, announce themselves to the nation if that makes sense because all we're doing is talking about Oklahoma but I feel like whoever wins this series um should get a lot of attention potentially even a top eight seed could a top eight seed be on on the line for Oklahoma State just throwing that out there yeah they uh they are in the hunt right now with a very strong RPI um Alabama is still in the SEC race and I think they have the most RPI top 25 wins of anybody in the country. So that is a huge series for Alabama. And as we were talking about um, Arkansas LSU, what are we thinking of that, uh, that head to head? Um, The hogs, I believe if they win all three will uh, clinch at least a tie for an sec regular season title. I I love the fact that um, LSU has been battling. I mean, that is a team that has, the strongest strength of schedule. I I think they're starting to pop out of the backside of it. I think we're seeing a more confident LSU offensive team that has struggled at times, but they face some of the best arms in the entire country. They're going to do it again, going up against autumn storms and Mary half. So I think that this matchup really comes down to, again, as we talk about every series, it's execution, it's productive outs, it's risk being able to knock people in when you have the opportunity And, and for those pitchers to be able to shut down, um, um, the speed, especially on Arkansas side, the speed of, of LSU and keep Aaliyah Andrews off of the bases. So I think that's going to be one of the big keys for this matchup. Yeah, Michelle, I agree. Eight home runs in the series against um, Kentucky for LSU. But then also, I'm really curious how the circle will go for Arkansas. Autumn Storms did not throw much in that series against Mizzou, just a couple of innings at the end of game three. So for me, Arkansas is They've got Mary Half, who loves to pitch up in the zone. As long as that ball continues to trail up, she'll be fine in the circle, but it can sit flat. And we have seen teams capitalize on it, but Autumn Storms rolls a ton of ground balls when she's on a pitcher that's down in the zone, but they're going to need both of those arms strong and healthy to come away with a bunch of wins. Kayla, what do you think? 
I just wanted to put a pin on the Bama Georgia series too, because we kind of went over that one, but I think this is going to be one of the toughest challenges for the Bama offense because they've got to go up against a Georgia team. That's better in home runs. That's been hot as of lately that if they pitch Avant well, they can beat anybody in the country. And if they don't have Lexi Kilfoil, their offense has to score runs to get a series victory against the Bulldogs. All right, some great action coming up on uh, the ESPN networks this weekend. The player of the year list is out as we move down uh, the lineup card number seven. Uh, the two-time uh, winner, of course, is Rachel Garcia. She is one of the front runners on that list, probably with Jocelyn Allo of Oklahoma, Braxton Burnside at Arkansas. The SEC leads the way with nine players on the list, 11 pitchers, three second basemen, four outfielders, and uh, Gentro, four catchers on that list. No representation, no love for the uh, first sackers or the third baseman, no love for, for the corner infielders um, on the list. Uh, but we wanted to focus on no shortage of shortstops. There are three on that list, Sis Bates, Burnside, and Sammy Bunch of Northern Iowa, who we talked about earlier. Um, all, but uh, the, the rest have been left out, and we think this is a particularly strong group. We talked earlier about uh, Brie Perez, Linda Rush at Drexel. Um, Grace Lyons had that great juke move. Wasn't that Grace that scored, uh, juked out the catcher um, on the way to home base in the win over Baylor this weekend? Dancing before uh, diving. Yes. And then the Jesse Harper update for Arizona, now up to 87 career home runs. That puts her number four uh, tied with Stacey Chambers on the career home run list. But there's a great group of of shoddies around the country this year that we, we need to celebrate. Well, and you know, Beth, I'd just like to throw another one out there. Sydney McKinney for Wichita state fielding percentage of 966, a 439 batting average, six home runs only struck out twice all year, not on the list as well. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of great shortstops. We could go on and on about them. Aaron Koffel, a gazillion of them. What do you think, Jenny? Well, and one that we probably won't talk about, Tennessee's sitting at seventh in the SEC right now. They'll go to the postseason, but they have not done a ton of things that make fireworks go off. But when it comes to shortstops, they got a big transfer out of Arizona, Ivy Davis, who had not seen a ton of time at Arizona and saw the writing on the wall. There was not going to be an opportunity for her to get into the starting lineup. So she finds her way over there to Tennessee the shoes of Megan Gregg. We knew that there was going to be a big hole when she left. They didn't fill it last year. Ivy Davis steps in. Now her batting average is a little low. She's hitting 287, but she's got 13 home runs on the year, 36 RBI. But I think she's done a really good job at Tennessee to fill that gap and to be able to push them ahead defensively. Kayla, what do you, who have you seen around the country? Uh, well, first, I think there's two conversations that you have to have when you're talking about a shortstop. Who is the best hitter that plays shortstop? Or who is the best pure shortstop in the country? Defense purely. And I love seeing the most pure shortstops. I think obviously you can't leave out Sis Bates. She's been the highlight machine and she's hold that 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 number one spot for pretty much her entire career at UW. But I think, you know, Brie Perez, Jen, you've talked about her. She doesn't get enough credit. She's a solid shortstop. And then watching Grace Lyons play, she is so stinking smooth. She's got a baseball background. She just plays that with so much range and so much fluidity that if we're talking pure defensive shortstop, I think those are my favorite across the country. Who are we kidding? It's this space and everybody else. Like, <laughs> come on people. What, what are we talking about here? Have we just not seen Sis Bates in person recently? We, and do we have recency bias? 
<laughs> he was just on TV against UCLA this week. I love Sis. And I think if you're talking about the best defensive shortstop, she's only made, I think, 15 or 17 errors in her entire career. But if I'm thinking about filling an actual lineup spot and I want to start a shortstop in my lineup and I want her to be able to drop a bunt, steal some bases, hit a home run, split the gap and make that diving play up the middle, unbiasedly, I pick Brie Perez. I do. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, the way that you, I mean, you just are able to like be a politician and sell everybody on everything that you think. So I think that I'm like in with the Brie Perez thing too, but no, and rightfully so. She, I think she's grown defensively at shortstop from her freshman year. And I think she's grown at the plate too. Two people that we haven't mentioned, Taylor Pleasant. So talk about a, a big presence at the plate, left-handed, long, tall range playing shortstop. She's unbelievable. And also I really like Josie Muffley at Florida State. She is tough. She played baseball almost her entire career and she played hockey too. So I like the way that she plays shortstop and what she brings to the game. And one little add on who we haven't mentioned all season is Kenzie McGuire from South Carolina. She has made some amazing sports center top plays in her career. Kayla, if you had, if we had video, you would see Kayla doing her imitation of Kenzie McGuire right now. Okay, the submarine so- throw. She throws under, like under her, under the plane of her arm. She's crazy to watch. Yeah, this want leads Washington in hitting. I, I, I'm, I don't know why there's just this UCLA bias right now. Sis Bates, come on, sister. This Bates fan club uh, in action. Four oh three hitting four oh three. Thank I you. Mean, you won't find a sweeter swing, I don't think, than Taylor Pleasant. Smitty, weren't we talking about her uh, Madison Shipman esque? Yeah, uh, just that tall, lean, yeah. athletic frame. And the way she brings that bat on playing through the strike zone, she and Burnside head to head this weekend in that LSU Arkansas series. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that I love about Taylor Pleasant, um, like you said, with Maddie Shipman is it's the uh, emergence of the six foot plus shortstop. Okay. Anyone that used to be six foot plus usually was a pitcher. When you start seeing our game, um, have some six foot plus shortstops, you know, we're going in the right direction. All right. The six footers led by Smitty, the under six footers led by Horo um, and the Sis Bates fan club. Maybe we should offer this up on the, uh, um, on the gram and the Twitter, Amanda Scarborough. Let's have a, a vote from America. See who their favorite shortstop is this week, which is a perfect segue into our mailbag questions from you, the viewers and listeners. What do we got? All right. So Jason in Austin, Jason is a horns fan and just a softball fan in general. Uh, Jason wants to know is OU and UCLA world series championship um, series. Is that inevitable or do you see a team that can derail this matchup? I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, those are the two definite uh, definitive front runners right now. Um, You know, just based on what we've seen thus far, but certainly on any given day, um, as the, uh, the pitchers amongst us will tell you, a hot pitcher could take them down and knock them into the loser's bracket and make it a long way back to the championship series. Good pitching shuts down good hitting. Okay. Mike Candrea, beginning of the season. That's it. I'm muting now. Jenny Dalton Hill, did Mike Candrea tell you hitters something else? Uh, Chuck and Duck, you've said it on multiple <laughs> shows, Beth. I mean, that was the mantra. And we didn't go into analytics, we didn't go into any of this. What is she throwing? It didn't matter what she threw. She was going to throw us a ball and we were going to hit it out. So I'm going to say hitting the problem with is you've got to out hit your pitching if it's not good. And sometimes it's hard to out hit a bad outing in the circle. But don't you think both of these teams can, don't you think UCLA and Oklahoma can both out hit bad pitching? Not, not that UCLA is going to get bad pitching. I don't think, but 
even if Oklahoma struggled or G Juarez injury flares up or whatever, I think they're just too deadly from top of the bottom, the lineup. Holly, I think you're exactly right. And the thing that's really cool about it is talk about what a fun game that would be to watch so many home runs, so many extra base hits. I mean, a bad outing in the circle is not likely for either of these, those two teams, but I'm kind of pushing for it so we can see all that offense. That would not just be one game. That would be three potentially. And of course, a rematch of 2019's champ series, Caleb bro. Yeah. Well, I think the other interesting is we're assuming that they're going to be one, two and be on opposite sides of the brackets and have a clean shot, but they could play each other before the champ series and give each other a loss. And then snub, somebody can sneak in and beat them. I think that's where that's the possibility that okay, I can listen. team. <laughs> if the NCAA committee does that, every person on that committee will be immediately fired. Like, stop it. That that would be so dumb. Please don't do that. Please, please. Holly, tell us how you really feel about <laughs> if that might happen. That that would be really interesting. It just makes selection show on May 16th on ESPN2 that Christy much more. Holly's a fun Holly, isn't she? Yeah, always. You tell I've been missing softball. I've been like dying to get on and say my opinions because I just sit at my house and yell them at the television. So it's much more fun to be able to yell them at you guys. <laughs> uh, what else we, we got in that mailbag, Scarborough? Yeah, let's do uh, one more. Uh, this is Tom from Green Bay. Tom is a Gators fan. Tom wants to know, should they change the hit by pitch rule, making the batter to try to avoid the pitch? This is kind of could be a heated debate, I feel like. Well, my question to back to Tom is, does he not remember how the Gators absolutely used this to their benefit the first year it came out? I mean, they were wearing pitches. I mean, talk about repeat offenders and nobody was calling them back. They took first base so many times. I know Beth's going to go back in her. Uh, I'm getting the Bible out. I'm getting the World Series Bible out. Yeah. <laughs> and figure out how many it was. But I think the thing is, if the pitch is truly in the batter's box, I'm okay with the hitter wearing it. It's when they lean over the plate or use their Evo shield to wear a pitch that is over the heart, over the plate, that it's not okay. And I, I really wish that that was enforced a little bit more. Michelle, what do you think? I, I'm just a believer that hitters should have to try to get out of the way. They're called hitters. They're not called hit by pitchers. You know, they're, they, they get in the box to try to hit the ball and hold on, um, hold on. We're not called ditchers either. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> I just feel like, um, you should have to make a effort to get out of the way period. And I don't know what the impetus was to change that rule so that you didn't have to move. It just, to me, seems, seems ridiculous, especially in a day where everybody can armor up. And I mean, in your major league baseball, you know why they try to get out of the way? Cause they're making millions of dollars and they don't want to get injured or break a bone. So there's, there, there's the reason they're trying to get out of the way. They're not going to wear one to take first base and potentially give up a $10 million contract. Maybe that'll change with name, image, and likeness if there's a little coin on the line for the uh, uh, female student athletes playing softball. So we need I more fights in softball. That's <laughs> that's the solution. If you 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 hit my batter, I'm going to charge the mound. I'm going to charge the, mound. the circle. That, that's the answer right there. All right. So uh, diving back joke. In, into my notes, it was 2015, uh, the uh, Florida-Michigan series, and it was game three, six hit by pitches. Uh, for Florida in that game, they won it four to one to win the first, uh, their second uh, national championship. There was a moment in our series this, uh, the other night, and it was uh, Jada Coleman, I believe, who was only batting like 505. And there was a pitch that was high and tight. And on replay, it showed it missed her. 
but she tried to sell it to go to first base. And then they, they rightly brought her back. And there was a moment where Patty Gasso said something to her. And I hope it was something along the lines of, you're a 500 hitter. We want you to swing. We don't want you to take a freebie. We want you to knock somebody in or knock it out of the ballpark. And that's sort of to your, you know, old school um, thinking, let's swing the bat instead of taking those, those freebies. So I think they should change it that you at least have to make an attempt to get out of the way. I would love to see a graph of when Evo shield was invented and brought into the softball world, the trend up and just, yeah, I would love to, to see that before and after Evo shield. So great questions. So many, there were so many good ones. This is a longer podcast. We're just going to get to two, but keep sending your questions. They're awesome. You guys are the best fans. Thanks. All right, Holly Rose, since you're back, lead us into your favorite part of the program. This week on Shaggin Stats. I'm going to talk about James Madison. Their team ERA is 1.72, and they have thrown 17 complete games their pitchers have, which is good enough for about 60% of their games have been complete games. So in a day of uh, deep pitching staffs, they're not going to the bullpen too much. They have the ability to throw the complete game. Well, and uh, Amanda, I'm going to stay with pitchers and I'm going to go with uh, Montana Fout. So far here in the month of April, she has six games with 10 plus strikeouts and she will be going up against the Georgia Bulldogs. So we'll she, see if she can continue a streak of uh, games with uh, six plus, excuse me, 10 plus strikeouts. Uh, I'm going to stay in line with the pitchers today. Seems to be our trend in shagging stats. Um, I'm going to shout out Haley Dulcini. And Keely Richard are tied for the most shutouts on the season. They've thrown 11 shutouts. And you talked about how impressive it is to get complete games. It's also impressive with the offense that we're seeing this year is to put up a big zero on the scoreboard. All right. Well, I will take it to the offensive side of the game. I looked at who was the toughest to strike out this season. And while there's several hitters with still zero strikeout, they don't have a lot of at bats. I look at Kinsey Hansen at Oklahoma. She only has one strikeout in 109 at bats. That one strikeout came against Kansas back on April 3rd, but she's hitting the four or five hole for Oklahoma, hitting 451, 15 home runs. For me, that's an amazing stat. I'm going to take it back to the pitchers and USF's Georgina Korik, who defeated Washington State three times over the weekend through three complete games and allowed just two runs for my shag and stat this week that was shag and stats all right time now for our player of the week and i think we have a a, a nominee of jenna cone from g-dub hit 467 with three home runs and 10 runs batted in i believe that's her second um national player of the week honor from louisville slugger this week anybody else that uh, we should uh, toss out there I think the stats that you said about Georgina Corrick are just off the wall good. So I would do a nomination for her, especially the fact that she played a really good Wichita State team um, and got those big numbers in the circle. I would also like to nominate Tiare Jennings. I mean, I feel like it's redundant because she's been so good all year long, but she just hit her 22nd home run of the year. She's uh, third in the nation in home runs, the top freshman in the country in hitting. And uh, she just continues to impress in a really loaded lineup. She continues to be a big star for Oklahoma. Okay. All right. That's a tough call right here. It's a tough call. 
you know, we don't like Coe's. We don't like, uh, you know, everybody gets a trophy. Oh boy. You know what? You know what? I think sometimes we look at these numbers and we try to give it to the underdog, the one who doesn't get the most attention. But Holly, I'm going to be on the Tiare Jennings bandwagon. I think that when you play in a program that does big things, we oftentimes as reporters or as announcers look to find the other players that deserve it. But Tiare Jennings, a freshman hitting that many home runs for me, that does it for me. Holly, you sold me. Nice job. All right, I think we're going T.R.A. Jennings, who had a two-run home run in the first game against Baylor and then scored a couple of times in the second game against Baylor. So it's T.R.A. Jennings, our player of the week on our podcast, Fight Your Butts Off. Thanks so much for being with us. Courtney Dyfel, Haley Dolcini, great, great show. Enjoy the action this weekend. And the next time you hear from us on the seven innings podcast, it's mayhem. BMO, Scarborough, bro, Smitty, JDH, Shro, and Horo. We'll see you next time on the seven innings podcast.